Good morning and welcome to Thursday morning, September the 8th in 2022 on When I Rise. Today we continue Year C, Proper Week 19, which is the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Thursday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the New Testament letter passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary. And this week of the church's calendar year, and so we find ourselves in a fresh new book this week. After leaving Philemon behind, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise, meet God together in a time of prayer. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, so that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to this service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. For that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for us. A lot of leaders around us, they weren't born that way, uh, they weren't even made that way. According to Lynn Sweet, leaders are summoned, and they're summoned in important times and events. Sometimes they have it all together, a lot of times they don't, right? So if we were to pry into the stories of a lot of people that we admire, we would see some hardships, we might even see some grave mistakes that they made. But somehow like through it all, like it forms and it shapes and fashions them into the people that we admire and the ones that uh, we look up to. Uh, because they've been able to take whatever that was, like some harm that was done to them or the harm that they've done to somebody else, and they've been able to metabolize that. And they've been able to find redemption and healing in the midst of all that pain. And so we think, take a look at the early church, going down, back down to the foundational stones. We think this movement has been going on for some time now, and it's covered the globe. Its epicenter bounces all over the world every three to 400, 500 years. Um, there's more people in the global south and east than there are in the west, where the church has been dominant for some time, right? So this keeps on moving. It's a great diverse community. People who are rich and people who are poor, uh, people who have a lot of strength and uh, in influence in culture and society, and those who are marginalized, who have no political clout whatsoever. And so we ask a lot of questions, like sociologists have to ask from time to time, like, what is going on? Like, how has the church survived? It must be because they have such brilliant people working in the middle of it the whole time. Now, there's no doubt that there are brilliant people working in the middle of the church. But these brilliant people, they probably do have a past. Was it Oscar Wilde who once said that, like, every sinner has a future and every saint has a past, right? So here's Paul. Uh, he's writing... His letter late into his years. He's been a seasoned Christian for some time. He's got a lot of great exploits. And they live in a culture uh, where you would make most of all of your acclaim and accomplishments, right? This um, 
this uh, honorary culture where you wanted like a, a statue and made in your image. You wanted people to sing songs about you. You wanted people to tell your stories of all your great exploits, right? That's how you got ahead in this culture. So Paul could have levered that. He didn't. There's many times where he does not. Um, he does this cursus pedorum that uh, Scott McKnight says, this way of suffering or lowliness. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Like you look at me at the very center of the church, all these churches that I've planted, like all this persecution that I've endured, even this ministry in the midst of his imprisonment. Paul says, I'm still the chief of sinners. Christ has mercy upon me. And then he ends with this great benediction, one that the liturgical priests and ministers say it sometimes at the end of worship. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, to be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul has reckoned that his life, with all of the, the highs and the lows, that uh, he can hand it over to God as a way to honor God. Sometimes when we think about this glorifying God alone and honoring God alone, we think that we have to be um, almost like self-deprecating, right? You hear this language sometimes in the life of the church, like people so down upon themselves. It's almost like we have a contest to see how like terrible we are. Um, but that's not what it is. I just love the way that uh, some of the church fathers say that the, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. How do we know that we're fully alive? We're fully alive when we do have scars. We don't try to cover them up or try to justify them and take people's attention off them. But our scars are healed and redeemed and they don't bleed any longer. That's one of the neat little mysteries in the Eastern reading of the resurrection accounts is that Jesus, like in his resurrected body, like glorified body, still has scars, but they don't bleed, right? That's the way that you and I are. That's where Paul is at the end of his life. Like he could say in a way that's not like nauseating and annoying, calls himself like the worst of sinners. Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners, but I'm deeply loved. Like I just... Like this is a great picture of the gospel. I mean, this whole week we've been talking about these different like images of folly, right? Uh, we've gone through uh, different places where folly has been one of the punchlines to the text. And so here Paul is not like pointing and saying there's folly over there. He's like, no, there's folly within here. But here is the great, uh, the great grace and the this is the great surprise of the gospel. The great reversal is that even though there's great folly deep within me, I'm still deeply loved, like I'm still accepted, and I'm not uh, one who has been heaped shame upon shame, shame, and shame, shame upon shame heaped upon me, right? Uh, what a wonderful thing. So you and I can know our scars, and we can know the wounds that we've had over time, wounds that we've given ourselves or the, one, the ones that people have given us, but we know that we can be deeply loved even though we have them. So I want to start with like, this great good news this morning. God delights in you. God delights in me. Yes, he sees all of us, like even the stinky stuff, even the mistakes. And he still loves us the same. And that the thrill of that thought can make us start this day with a different note. So with that in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we rejoice this day because we've heard the gospel fresh and new. That even though we're people with folly deep within us, uh, we're still loved and we're accepted. And we thank you that because of that, the the bitter cold, the bitter winter of our soul is uh, begin to it begins to melt away, and it begins to warm with your goodness and with your grace. And we can be transformed from the inside out. Now, there are some of us today that we greet this day uh, with great anxiety. We feel like we haven't measured up. Um, we remembered 
so clearly the, the negative things that have been said to us. Uh, those words like stick into us like deep wounds. Some of us remember the mistakes that we've made and um, we, th- we play them over again and again. We say, that's normative. That's really who I am. But we thank you the gospel speaks a better word, that uh, all those shameful things can be pulled from our life and that we can be transformed deep within. So we pray that you'd renew our souls, that you would show us your love once more, that you'd pour that love into our hearts, that we could pour it out into the lives of others around us. God, this world is, is waiting for a better word, a word that will set people free. And so God, this day, I pray that within the church, within our work and within our message, that we'd speak wonderful words of life and that we'd see freedom and hope spring up all around us today. Let's call these things in Jesus' name. Amen.